Hello and welcome to The Great Books Podcast. Today we'll talk about Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi. I'm your host, John J. Miller of National Review, and you're listening to a production of National Review. Our guest is Mike Mignola, the creator, writer, and artist of the Hellboy comic books, which have become a movie franchise. He's worked in the movies, he has adapted Dracula to the comics, and his latest project is an illustrated edition of Pinocchio, which is part of a Kickstarter fundraising campaign that we'll discuss in a few minutes. He joins us by phone as we record from Hillsdale College's campus radio station, WRFH in Michigan. Mike, welcome to the Great Books Podcast. Thanks for having me. Why is Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi a great book? I think it's a great book. It's one of my all-time favorite books. It's amazingly bizarre. It's a much stranger book than most people know because most people have never read it. They only know the film, uh, the various film versions of it. All I can say is, yes, it is. It is one of my all-time favorite books and and is a huge reason I do what I do the way I I do it. We're going to talk about the novel, the story it tells, the characters, the legacy of this book in film, how you take words and turn them into a visual medium, also the Kickstarter campaign about the new forthcoming illustrated edition of Pinocchio. Mike, let's just start with how the novel Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi, published in the 1880s, how it begins. It, it, it was first appeared as a magazine serial, as so many books did in that era, came out as an actual book in 1883. The story begins this way, quote, once upon a time, which is an appropriate way to begin a tale like this, I suppose. It starts the once upon a time there was a king, my little readers will say at once. No children, you're wrong. Once upon a time, there was a piece of wood, unquote. Mike, what's going on here? Well, it does start with uh, a piece of wood. I, we're looking at the same translation. I know there's there have been different translations of the book. It, it starts with a piece of wood with no explanation, I, I, as I recall, no explanation why the piece of wood tends to be alive. But but it does. So the action starts when he's still, uh, you know, a log. It starts weird, and it just gets weirder. Once Upon a Time is so conventional, just to say that at the start. I mean, Collodi must know what he's doing there. Again, I, I, you know, because we're at the mercy of the translations, I, I have no idea what, if there was a, a more Italian way of saying Once Upon a Time. It was an Italian book. Oh, actually, in fact, the copy I've got says Century ago, centuries ago there lived, which actually I like better. I should say that the version I'm looking at is translated by Carol de la Thesa, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing completely wrong. Uh, my brother, who's read many, many uh, editions of Pinocchio, says this is the best translation. So I'm working from a better copy than you are well we are we are at the mercy of translators i'm using one uh, translated from the italian by jeffrey brock which is a, a mm. new york review of books edition uh, so we are at the mercy of translators but it does have this conventional beginning whether it's once upon a time or yeah. centuries ago and then it gets really strange how does it get strange there's there's a, there's a piece of 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 wood what happens to it it, it it's it starts with a different guy who has it he hands it off 
because I think it gives him trouble to Geppetto, who then carves a puppet out of it. And he's just alive. There's no message to, oh, this guy needs a son, so we're going to bring this log to life. No, it's just a living piece of wood that he makes into a puppet. He initially wants to turn it into a table leg. He wants this piece of wood to become something conventional and useful. I don't know if there's a message in that other than, you know, what would you do with a piece of wood? Even when I did the illustrations, I was working mainly from my memory of the book, which, you know, I've read several times over the years, but it, it has been a while. Now, who is Pinocchio then, and why does this character draw you in? You have such a, a deep memory of it, and then it inspired your own new work. But who is Pinocchio? Why, why does he have this such, such a hold on your imagination? Well, it's, is it him? He's, he's very much a blank slate, and he's actually very stupid, or we should say simple. But, but it's his journeys through this world and the fact that he keeps making these silly, sometimes silly, sometimes just plain stupid mistakes. He goes through the whole range of things from being kind of selfish and self-centered. He's kind of a murderer at one point. He does kill the cricket uh, who tries to, you know, tell him to not be, you know, not make so many mistakes. He, he murders the cricket. It's 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 just a parade of very very bizarre adventures, and if there's really any message to the book or or message to the reader, uh, and I, I suspect this is the the point of him writing this story originally was kids be good, go to school. Uh, if you run away from home, you will kill your parents because there is a ongoing theme of everyone is dying. Pinocchio is not behaving himself. And, and, and it's funny. So it's very dark. It's very bizarre. It's very dark. And it's also really funny. The book in some translations is called The Adventures of Pinocchio. I think popularly everybody just calls it Pinocchio, but you'll see it sometimes called right. The Adventures of Pinocchio. And it does have this episodic quality of, of one adventure or misadventure after Another, And this, I think, might reflect its serial publication, that he's almost telling a, a, a new tale every, every week or with every installment. It, it does see, it's always seemed to me that he also maybe didn't reread some of the earlier chapters, because if you trace certain characters, I'm thinking specifically of the, um, the fairy with the blue hair, she is sometimes alive, she is sometimes dead, and at the end of the book, she's sick. You know, so so there is no consistency with her character, which I which I personally find fascinating. It's just it just makes it extra strange. Uh, but yes, it is very very episodic. It has a surreal quality in in that sense. Oh yes, Pinocchio's in, in I guess an animated marionette. Uh, he's this dishonest, roguish, maybe transgressive hero. Tell us a little bit more about him. Why Why do we want to follow him along on his adventures or misadventures? First off, I mean, I, I think it's just fascinating to see where he goes. And, you know, because he does travel through a very bizarre world. It, it, it's you know, some some animals are just animals, some animals are alive. It's kind of like a Disney thing in that, you know, some animals can talk, some animals can't. 
at, at one point he's in jail and the judge is a monkey, even though uh, most of the other characters seem to be human. It doesn't seem to be any problem uh, for the writer that the judge in, in Pinocchio's case is, is an ape. There are so many just bizarre things about this world. So, so per, you know, I, I love tracing him through this world where absolutely anything can happen. But also, there is the question of, is he ever going to, you know, is he ever going to learn anything? Is he ever going to actually be good? Is he actually going to rescue Geppetto? You know, is he going to be stuck as a donkey? You know, it, 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 there, there are quite a lot of odd things that happen to him. So it's, it is a very compelling lead in that you have absolutely no idea what's, what's coming next. The thing that everybody probably knows about Pinocchio if you've never read the book, even if you've never seen the movie, the thing everybody knows about Pinocchio is that his nose grows when he lies. Is that true? Is that in the novel? I thought it only happened once. My brother the other day reminded me it happens twice. It happens, I believe, when he's just a piece of wood, and then it happens once later when he lies, and uh, I, I believe woodpeckers trim his nose back down to size. But it's not, it's not an ongoing thing. It's just a, a weird thing that happens a couple times. Why is that so famous? There are so many strange aspects to this story. Why is that the one that stands out, do you think? Well, I think it's, it's A, it's, it's about lying. So there's a, there's a simple message there that you can say to your kids, hey, if you lie, your nose is going to grow. And that may actually be, who knows, it may be actually a, a, a popular thing to say in Italy. <laughs> you know, I, I know the book is much more popular there. It's much more well-known. But I do think it's, it just became a, a simple idea. And it's a, it's a funny idea. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like the thing that caught on. It's a famous uh, characteristic of Pinocchio, but there are so many other potential ones. Do you have a favorite scene or, or, or episode in the story of Pinocchio? Yeah, mine is, my favorite is the, is maybe the darkest. Yeah, it may be the darkest moment in the book, which I actually ended up not illustrating because I just couldn't, couldn't quite uh, capture it. He has, I believe he has screwed up yet again. He's running back to the house of the, the, the blue fairy. And I think he's going to you know, tell her that he's now learned his lesson. It, it's something like that. He's running back to her house and he trips over something in the woods. And it's a tombstone that basically says, here lies the blue fairy. She died because Pinocchio was bad. I'm sure it's, it sounds much more, you know, flowery in Italian, but, but essentially that's it. And I just, you know, remember he's on his knees, like crying and, and, you know, in, in, in anguish that his, that his, his screw up has cost her her life. Granted, she does come back to life later, but it's, it, it just, it, it really hammers home that point I think he's making that, you know, you're you're going to kill people if you if you don't behave yourself. It says a lot about me, probably that that's my favorite bit. <laughs> you, you've mentioned darkness a few times. The darkness of this book, darker than the movies. In what way is it dark? I mean, there's a lot about death. Uh, like I said, with Blue Fairy, she dies. Uh, Pinocchio is uh, um, falls prey to assassins. He's hanged. 
He's robbed. He's he turns into a donkey. Fish eat his donkey body. So it's got it's got a little bit of you know it's got a little bit of everything uh, that's dark. I mean, it, it it could easily be, and I think maybe that's kind of what I was going for in the in the illustrations. It could easily be a horror novel. It is. It is. You know, he burns his own feet off. He murders the cricket. There's the ghost of the cricket. Um, yeah, it's it's you know there's a reading of it that's that's a horror novel, so um, you know at the same time it's really funny and it's it's cartoonish in it in a lot of its action, so it 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 is a very you know I can't really think of anything else quite like it. It's it's it covers a lot of different bases. This darkness question though it does seem to be a theme in a lot of children's literature that when you go to the source texts of fairy tales for example they're darker or grimmer than you might have expected if your first encounter with them was you know the bodlerized um, you know board book sure. for children right and then it and then it yeah. turns we- out that the source text is, is a little more complicated and it raises the question of what's appropriate for kids i suppose is this is this darkness a problem well, it's not a problem for me. You know, I, I you know, I just think once upon a time, a lot of these stories were told much more as a warning, as I think this book in some ways was. And so you're trying to make a point, so you didn't you didn't soften soften them up too much. Uh, a lot of people do think Pinocchio is a fairy tale. They don't they don't realize. A lot of people don't realize that there was ever an, a you know a novel. I think it does owe a lot to that fairy tale tradition of not, you know, not sanitizing a story. It, it keeps the brutality in there so that kids are scared into behaving themselves. I also suspect that kids probably can handle more darkness than we might give them credit for. I mean, you've always got to worry oh, about yeah. sort of age appropriateness and that sort of thing. But kids can do OK with this stuff, I think. What do you think? I, I believe so. Yeah, I, I it certainly it wasn't the kids going, "Oh no, this story is too scary." It was parents saying, "This is too scary for my kids." And if anything, somebody was telling me one of the most popular things on TV for kids of a certain age is The Walking Dead. So clearly, the more forbidden you make something, the more appealing it is to kids. My favorite show that I never saw as a kid was Dark Shadows. My cousin could watch it. I couldn't. I sat outside the room and listened to him watching that show, knowing that there was something phenomenal going on in there. There, there is a fascination with that stuff. It's not just me. There are many other kids grow up, you know, loving monsters. So it's it's parents saying, no, 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 this will be bad for our children. No, your children are going to find it. The more you make it, the more you try to hide it, the more the kids are going to want to find it. Now, let's get into your new project involving Pinocchio. And before we do that, though, tell us, what is your experience as a reader? When did you first encounter Pinocchio and how? Well, I'm, I'm you know, my first experience, I'm sure, was the Disney film, uh, which made a huge impression because I thought it is also very sad and very and, and pretty dark. Uh, I loved the movie. And I think it, it was early early teenage years, maybe 12, 13, probably around the time, maybe shortly after I read Dracula. I don't know when I became aware that there was a book, I just, but I do clearly remember stumbling across 
the book. Very, very ugly, bad, poorly bound paperback edition of the the novel, which my brothers and I both all read. You know, we just passed it off, you know, as I don't remember who read it first. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was my brother. But I know it was, oh, my God, I can't believe this. You have to read this. And and so my two brothers and I have a, a, a deep love for this book because not only did we kind of read it together, but for years it felt like we were the only people who had ever read it. So, you know, when you would tell other people that there's this book and it's phenomenal and this stuff happens, people think, even even recently, people have said to me, well, wait, you, this is your version, right? You made this version up. It's like, no, 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 this, this is the actual version of the book. So I distinctly remember that experience of, of, of you know, having the memory of the Disney film and then reading this thing and going, oh, my God. How does nobody know about this? So what are you doing now then with this text? What is your Kickstarter project? Well, it's not mine. It's Beehive Books. This is how they fund their books. They approached me about doing a book. I said my favorite book is Pinocchio. Uh, Originally, I was scared off of doing it because the, the edition of Pinocchio that I'm familiar with, uh, I mean, I've seen many editions, but there's one version that is illustrated by, and I'll see if I can get the name right or even close, illustrated by Attilio Mussino. It's so illustrated. It's got, a, in some places, a couple illustrations on every page. It is practically a graphic novel, and it's it, it so defined my impression of Pinocchio that... I I didn't know that I could bring anything different to the book. So I think when I first discussed with Beehive Books the idea of doing the book, I then backed off because I didn't feel like I could do it. And then I kind of had to give a lot of thought to, well, okay, I have my own way of doing things. I have a very specific style. So maybe if I can wrap my brain around doing the Mignola Pinocchio, you know, it's, it, is it the real Pinocchio? Is it my Pinocchio? Well, in some ways it's my Pinocchio, but I, I had to, I had to find a way to make it my own, even though I'm so familiar with this really beautifully illustrated version of it. But, you know, I did. So how do you make something like that your own? Pinocchio, I've read, is one of the most widely translated books in the history of book publishing, there are a gazillion editions, probably with lots of illustrations, and then the movies yep. are out there like a gigantic elephant in the room, I- informing our visual imagination of how we think about Pinocchio. What did you do that's distinctively Mike Mignola? Well, fortunately, in my comic book work in the last 10, 15 years, whatever, aside from doing Hellboy, I've done some very odd fairy tale kind of stories. And then I did a whole series of Hellboy in Hell where I kind of made up this kind of fantasy world with these oddly shaped buildings and things. So I had already kind of created my own fantasy world so or, or my type of visuals for a fantasy world. So it was really a matter of feeding Pinocchio into that, you know, and saying if, if, if Pinocchio took place in my world, what would that look like? So um, 
it, it, it leans into kind of a Victorian Gothic kind of a thing as opposed to, you know, trying to draw. I mean, I've seen beautiful uh, additional Pinocchio that are, that make it very Italian, Italian towns and Italian costumes and things like that. And I stayed away from all that and just said, I will do the, you know, Hellboy in Hell type of environment for Pinocchio. And, uh, you know, so that's fortunately, because I had my way of doing things, I was able to to feed Pinocchio into that. How do you interact then with a source text? Because you're a visual artist, but you have a, a source of, of, of printed words and you've got to bring them into this visual medium. Well, again, most of what I did was symbolic. There are very few places where I illustrated I don't think there are any places where I illustrated a scene. I've always had a very strange uh, relationship with illustration. As much as I love illustration, when I do illustrate somebody else's, you know, text, prose, what I don't want to do is tell the reader, this is exactly how this happened. I don't want to show them the specific action. I want that that to happen in the reader's mind. So most of my stuff is environment or it's mood. There are a couple close-ups of Pinocchio in the book um, that I think are, you know, this is Pinocchio worried, this is Pinocchio sad, this is Pinocchio scared, but it's not, you know, here's Pinocchio confronting this particular creature. I want the reader, I, I just want to, flavor the text. Uh, and then, of course, I wanted to draw the monsters. Uh, so, so uh, you know, if, if there were particular characters that I loved from the book, especially if there's a character that nobody was familiar with, uh, I did want to draw that. And in those cases, sometimes uh, there's a green giant that almost eats Pinocchio. That was one of the places where I actually did refer to the text specifically, you know, for the description of the monster. I mean, I played a little fast and loose with it, but I didn't want to, you know, make him up entirely. Uh, I wanted to, to, you know, in some way reference the text. Uh, and I had to double check a couple of things, you know, um, Pinocchio's hanged. Is his noose hanging there from the rope? No. A bird cut the the rope down, so you have a tattered rope as opposed to a hanging noose. Little little things like that. But but for the most part, I did drawings of the environment and and mood pieces. What's the attraction of monsters? Do you think we all love looking at monsters and monster movies and everywhere? And I think it's 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 there in, in 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 great literature as well. It's why in Dante people tend to be more interested in the Inferno than in Paradiso. It's because it's full yeah. of monsters and horror and so forth. But what 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 do you think is the human attraction to monsters? That's one of those questions I can never answer. I just know that you know it clicked for me at a very early age. And I said, I want to find a way to make a living drawing monsters. I don't know. It's just, no, that's a question for people who talk about that kind of stuff. I just know that on a gut level, when I read Norse mythology, and especially when I read Dracula, it, it just stuck. And Pinocchio, same kind of thing. I just, I responded to the, well, Pinocchio is a weird one because I responded to the humor and the monster combination. And if you look at, you know, the work I do, Hellboy started to work to me when when I added humor. I, you know, I learned something from Pinocchio that 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 
that magic, if you can pull off that magic combination of absurd humor and keep the darkness, um, that's, that's the, the, the appeal to me. Uh, let me just say, I'm not, in some ways, I'm not really a real horror guy because I, you know, I like the fantasy element. I like, I like the humor. I don't like to do stuff or, or I'm not attracted to stuff that is too dark, that is too grotesque. You know, to me, the best of that, the best of that kind of stuff has some kind of a humor element to it. We haven't talked much about the humor in Pinocchio, and the book is full of humor. Is there a bit of humor, maybe a scene or an incident that you really enjoy? Again, it's one of the the, the darker bits, but it's it, to me, it's it's really funny. He's been hanged. He is taken to the Blue Fairy's house to recover. Uh, he won't take his medicine, and some some four rabbits walk in uh, carrying a coffin. <laughs> and it's kind of like a, well, you're not going to take your medicine. How about this? And he sees the rabbits with the coffin, and he takes his medicine. To me, that scene is hilarious. You know, it's just the, the absurdity of just rabbits walking in with a coffin is just is just phenomenal. There's also a, an amazing scene uh, which serves no purpose. It 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 it's short. Uh, he's just he's walking along, and he I think he, there's a snake. I, I think it's a giant snake with its tail on fire. No explanation why there is such a thing, but Pinocchio, I think he's startled by it or something, and he falls in the mud, and the snake thinks that's so funny that it's gust, it laughs so hard, its guts burst. What the hell's that about? <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so bizarre, it's so funny. At, at the same time, it's, it's amazingly dark. It, it has, if it wasn't so funny, it would be a nightmare. And again, it says a lot about me that I think these scenes are funny. So maybe they were meant to scare kids. I don't know. I thought they were hilarious. Tell us more about the Kickstarter campaign, this this campaign with, with Beehive, the publisher. I'm also seeing it called an Illuminated Edition. It involves Lemony Snicket. Uh, give us a sales pitch for what this volume is going to be. Well, again, it's not my job to sell the book. It's just my job to illustrate it. But I will say these guys, Beehive Books, they haven't done a lot of books, but every one of them they've done is absolutely gorgeous. So that was the appeal to do a a special, beautiful, high-end book uh, edition of my favorite thing. And I, I believe that Kickstarter is just how they fund their books. I know that Kickstarter, Started campaign for Pinocchio was uh, amazingly successful, so I'm relieved about that. What else can I say about it? Oh, the Lemony Snicket thing. Every one of their books has an introduction by someone. So there was a discussion of who would write an introduction. And I, I had no idea because, again, I don't know many people who've ever read the book. So I believe they approached him about writing the introduction and it was his idea to turn it into sort of a commentary on the book. So what they've done and what he's done, he has written 
little commentary that will be inserted into the book in, in, in as loose pieces of paper. I mean, this, this to me is amazingly bizarre and I, I think wonderful. There will be these loose slips of paper inserted into the book, which are his little notes he's added commenting on the text and just how bizarre the text is. And if you're familiar with his his books, I you know I was very familiar with his uh, series of unfortunate events books. Uh, he's got the perfect voice for that. You know the perfect narrator to to come in and and comment on the text. So uh, I think it makes it a pretty unique. Well, I know it makes it a very unique package. So yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it. And it's a great collaboration between this excellent writer, Lemony Snicket, and you, this excellent illustrator, Mike Mignola. As just a final question, what's the case for reading Pinocchio today? Why go into the novel now in the 2020s and experience it as a a book you can find in a used bookstore or maybe as this new edition you guys are are putting out? What's the case actually for reading this thing? Well, first off, I mean... My simple answer is because I think it's a terrific book. I think it is a, a sadly neglected book because so many people don't know it's a book. Certainly my experience has been that, you know, I, I've only met a few people who have ever read it. So I think it's, it's, it's almost a lot, in America at least, it's almost a, a, an unknown book. And you know, to me, it's so good, it, it seems criminal to me that, that people have not read it. No film version in America has come close to capturing what's in the book. I think Del Toro's film uh, is really interesting, and he picks up on some things that were not in the Disney version, but, uh, you know, he plays pretty fast and loose with the material. Uh, so it's just, I think it's just a, a, a great read. I, you know, my brother wrote a sequel to Pinocchio, which I think is phenomenal. He can't sell it, of course, because you can't sell the sequel to a book uh, that nobody has read. <laughs> so maybe, maybe he'll have more luck selling it in Italy. But it's, it's, you know, I just think it's a, it's a, a, a masterpiece that people don't know. Mike Mignola, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi. My pleasure. Thank you. You've just listened to The Great Books Podcast, a production of National Review. Please subscribe to The Great Books Podcast and leave reviews of the show. That helps us keep this podcast going. Send me your ideas for future episodes. You can reach me through my website at haymiller.com. On Twitter, my handle is at haymiller. Last of all, special thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of The Great Books Podcast.